Welcome to the Millennials Unpublished Podcast, where we talk about everything from gaps in the literature to gaps in society. Thank you for joining us for another episode. This is Jaslyn. And this is Darren. So seconding that, thank you for joining us again, for showing support, for following us. We finally reached 200. Woo! <laughs> so I, I think that means we owe y'all some more bonus content. Um, another but one. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate it. We also appreciate everyone who's been messaging us and giving us feedback um, or suggestions as well. So thank you again. Love it. Yeah. So as always, diving straight into the check-in and check-up. So Miss PhD candidate, Jess, (laughs) how are you? Oh, I'm swell. Um, This morning, I got word that um, I passed my preliminary exam. Yay. (laughs) I'm so happy for you. Thank you. I just, (laughs) it just was a lot of work, but it's finally done and I can kind of look ahead um, Mm. in the same sort of realm of discussion, I guess. I can talk about how I'm going to be moving to New York soon. Um, I'm going to be, (laughs) I'm going to be moving and finishing up my dissertation work at Columbia. Um, I'm still a Brown student, but that's the next, the next chapter for me. So yeah, lots of good things today. It's nice. It's nice to have something to be happy about. Um, Yeah. How about you, Darren? How are you doing? Um, I'm doing all right. Like, I feel like I'm actually like reaching happiness. Like, (laughs) you know, I think a couple of days back, I was really stressed out and dealing with a lot. But I finally got to a point where I was sort of like, I'm not going to let these white people take me out. (laughs) Like, It's not not worth losing my peace of mind. So I've just been taking time for myself, centering, staring at trees as I do sort of like doing meditations as necessary. Mm -hmm. I've been just like reaching out and chatting um, with friends, those allies, you know, I've been hitting them up and like, hey, do you want to listen to me? Do you want to talk? Um, and everyone's been super great giving me space and holding space for me to talk. Um, so it's been a lot better. I've been feeling really good. Um, so I think that's been something that's been really nice. I do think I was really um, sad a little bit about some things. Like I saw in the news, there was another sort of uh, murder of a black trans woman, which made me really sad. And I saw that Trump rolled back protections for trans people. So I wanted to speak on that. But yeah, you know, other than that, I've been pretty, pretty good. <laughs> Threw a lot of That was you. such a, a sad note to end on. I'm sorry. No, Black Boy Joy. <laughs> black Boy Joy. <laughs> I've been going on runs and like posting like my runs and like my music and everything. I've been really happy. Mm. So let's end on that note. <laughs> yeah, just finding some joy in these times um, is really important wherever it comes from. But maybe our conversation for the topic under review might also spark some joy. Yeah, it, it'll make me happy. So maybe it'll make- <laughs> <laughs> mosey on down to the, the topic under review. Sounds good. All right. So this week for our topic under review, we have a very special guest, Katie Ingram. She's a good friend of mine, and she's here to talk about white allyship and counseling during the social moment. Um, I'll just go ahead and let her introduce herself a little bit more. Floor is yours, Katie. All right. Okay. Um, Hi, I'm Katie Ingram. 
Um, this is pretty much the biggest honor of my entire life. Um, <laughs> so I um, got to know Jaslyn when we worked together um, in a lab called CAPER, Center for Addiction, Personality, and Emotion Research um, at the University of Maryland a few years ago. Um, and since then, we've remained friends through our grad school journeys. Um, so I started in counseling psychology at the University of Florida in 2017 um, and planned to finish my PhD there, but my advisor took a job at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, so I moved here and transferred into school psychology um, at the UNC School of Ed. Um, so that's where I am today. Um, broadly, I study um, prevention of school violence. Um, and so I'm mostly interested in prevention of uh, interpersonal violence and sexual violence. Um, and the converse to that is teaching and helping um, foster healthy relationship skills in schools um, using school-based approaches through school-based mental health. Um, any personal facts you want to share with the people? Yeah, I guess I, I will share my identities. Um, so I identify as a white, cisgender, straight woman. Um, I grew up in the D.C. area. And fun fact, I guess, I... I really like being outside. That's kind of a lame one, whatever. Um, <laughs> recently started a yoga practice. I like riding bikes. I recently started rock climbing. Uh, that's been a fun new uh, adventure uh, since we moved to Chapel Hill with my, my roommate here. Um, yeah. Nice. That's about as fun as I get. No. Nice. Nice. <laughs> She's tons of fun. Don't listen to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so... Oh, Darren, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying, I personally um, hadn't met Katie until a couple of weeks ago when we did like a sip and chat and had a live. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, like she's so cool. Jocelyn, why did you never introduce me to this person? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I just want to say thank you, dope. <laughs> I, importantly, I should have also mentioned that um, Darren, I... I felt like I've known you for all these years, Aww. even though we did just meet a few weeks ago, because um, I've spent years hearing stories about your and Jocelyn's adventures and your beautiful <laughs> friendship. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm also really happy to finally actually know you. Aw, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad everyone's coming together. It just warms my heart. I mean, we can talk more later, but we, for this episode, we kind of prepared some questions uh, surrounding the topic of allyship. There's so much going on in the world. And as we've seen, people are confused. They're trying to learn, teach themselves, be taught by people that really don't have a business teaching anyone else. Um, so we wanted to go through that and just kind of get your perspective and also, um, your experience in counseling and how you would kind of address these things. So, yeah. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's jump in. Awesome. So, so Darren, I think um, you can go ahead and start us off. Yeah. I wanted to have the honor of asking the first question. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, my first question to you, Katie, is what does allyship mean to you? Ooh, what does allyship mean? Um, so it's the biggest theme that's um, sort of been reaffirmed recently um, is that it's a practice. So it means that you're, you're working for something that doesn't necessarily affect you, um, but it aligns with something that you believe in. And in, in any 
in the most likely case, you are part of the problem. So you're part of a problem that is affecting other groups of people that are not you. And so it kind of is your problem, even though we talk mm. about it as like the problem of the people it's affecting, like racism, sexism, heteronormativity. And so to be an ally means to be part of fighting whatever that is, so being actively anti-racist, um, anti-homophobic, anti-sexist. No one, no white person is born an ally. No white person is a perfect ally. Um, you're not an ally in the same way that you would claim any of your other identities. Um, so I think about being an ally more as like like practicing any other kind of practice. So like when you practice basketball, you you get worse at it if you don't practice. Um, and so it's it's sort of a no days off, must commit if it's something you are you're going to be kind of thing. And you have to be okay and understand that it's a constant practice and you're going to mess up, but you have to commit to the work nonetheless. Wow. You are really just giving us fire starting off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let that simmer for a second. But I just wanted to say that, like, wow, like what an answer. And then also, too, I really like your point about being anti, you know, so being anti-racist or anti-sexist or anti-homophobic uh, as well. So it's not just necessarily like aligning sort of maybe your values and your voice with the group, but also actively combating um, these sorts of isms that we have. So that's just what I wanted to say. But, you know, yeah, thank you for that. Great response. Uh, I guess the follow-up to that would be, how did you become an ally? Or also, when did you kind of give yourself that title and recognition of, oh, I'm, I'm in a position where I'm, I'm actively practicing? When did you kind of recognize that in yourself? Yeah, um, I don't, I really don't remember the time when I, when I actually pinpointed that as a title that I wanted to have, um, or, or sort of an actual practice that I reflected on and, and named in my life. Um, but I guess the some critical moment, when I think back to, like, the last, on the last episode, um, y'all talked about figuring out your politics, like mm. aligning your values, figuring out what you believed about the world and making sense of it, and then making choices in accordance with those, with those values. Um, and so when I think back to my values and what I believe about the world sort of a big level, and I, I do want everyone to, to feel free and to be free and to, to um, sort of have, have the opportunity to make choices and dream the dreams they, they want for their lives. And so if I believe that, then I need to actively show up um, and help be part of the systems and the forces that that make that happen for people, um, or or fight the fight the systems and the forces that that keep folks from achieving those things. Because um, that's sort of my my worldview on on a big level. So I gotta mm-hmm. gotta be accountable. Gotta commit. Um, on a personal level, it is it is driven by love for for people that I really care about. And I think back to um, people that that raised me, friends that I've had that that have identities that are not mine um, and that are oppressed by the systems that that benefit me. Um, so black friends, Hispanic friends, friends with uh, disabilities, disabled friends, um, queer friends, trans friends, I 
if I truly love those people and want, want to be a good friend and honor them, I got to show up. Um, I have to show up for them. And so it's, um, I guess that's sort of what, what drives me. And I, I really struggle to pinpoint a time when I decided that like allyship was a, a term, but um, definitely really critical experiences in learning how to be a therapist and what wellness means for folks. Um, shout out Dr. Della Mosley, assistant professor at University of Florida. Um, she <laughs> taught our cultural mindfulness uh, in counseling class. And that was definitely, um, a really, really important experience that, that made me develop a, a better ally practice. I think those cultural competency courses or cross-cultural study courses are so invaluable. Um, I'm not sure if you took the one at UMD, but I took that one. And I remember going in thinking like, oh, I didn't have anything to learn. I'm good. I'm good. And then every time I would leave that class, I would have just like this epiphany or about something I had in common with a completely different race or culture or things that I needed to change my perspective on. So that education um, is so important in becoming the person that you want to be for the rest of the world. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Jasmine, you sort of took um, some of the words out of my mouth because I very much was going to ask a little bit about sort of like academic training and how that informs sort of like allyship and different things. But even thinking back to my sort of scholastic experience, <laughs> um, I remember taking this like men and women in society course. It was a sociology course that just broke sort of my mind. I'm explaining the social construction of gender and made me think about a lot of things differently, sort of as a man in this society. So I think that like academia and sort of course where it can play like a large role in that so you know we love a shout out so thanks for shouting out your fave yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and loved your point about showing up I think about Rihanna being like you know what pull up for your friends (laughs) (laughs) exactly and I don't like I probably should have said this to start but like I don't I don't claim to, to be good at this I don't claim to have answers um I I really I see myself as someone who's like just doing their best um and uh yeah that's my preface your best is it's honestly amazing in my opinion but I'm biased so (laughs) yeah see y'all just to keep it you know I'm biased I don't know Katie that well yet so you know I like her though but you know we're not gonna get no I'm joking I I love it I think it's great (laughs) No, yeah, hold me accountable. Um, yeah, def- yeah, 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 all the love. But Jasmine, I didn't know if you wanted to move it along with the next question or... <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, a lot of what we've been talking about is your own personal development um, and how you've kind of taken accountability. Uh, I was just wondering, how do you navigate friendships with other white people who may have problematic beliefs about race in particular? Ooh, ooh. Um, <laughs> Just, you know, segueing to that one. Yeah, no, great. That this is something I've I've thought a lot about. Um and again, like don't claim to have any answers. Um, but if I'm yeah, I guess the ongoing theme in my journey is understanding my whiteness, um, and in doing a lot of reading and listening and thinking to understand that I know that I can't co-opt black anger, um, like black anger and frustration um, 
that's that's not for me as frustrated as I am and as horrendous and painful and outraged I can be as I as I see things and as I wake up to new new levels of understanding anti-black racism um it I don't get to I don't get to be as outraged as as a black person I definitely went through a phase of I'm going to cut everyone who if if you voted for Donald Trump then you know, like on me, I'm going to go through and like purge my friends list. If you think this, this, and this, I'm going to you're out of my life. Um, and then, and then I kind of came to, came around to thinking, um, well, if I'm not engaging with those people, who is? Mm. And also Katie, think back a few years ago <laughs> before, <laughs> before you knew what you know now at any given time, like you might've been those people, like you can't act all self-righteous. Like, like that wasn't you at one time or could have been you. Um, and so I, I do see it, I guess, as my job to, to compassionately educate people that want to, that want to learn, um, or, or invite them to learn. Um, mm. there are always going to be people who you can try and try and they are committed to, to not listening. Um, and those, I, I don't have an answer for that yet other than continuing to try. Um, but I think with a lot of white people who say things to me, um, because they see this as a, as a white space and they feel safe saying things to me. Um, I guess I do try to take a compassionate calling in educational approach, um, to, to that person. Um, and I, I definitely understand the, if you don't align with these values, you're not my friend, um, as to like put the pressure on people to say, if you want to be my friend, you need to get on board. Um, and I also see a lot of people who, who the system has really worked perfectly to protect from having those awakening moments. Um, and if I can be that person who brings them in and shows them that they can have a place in this work and they should have a place in this work. Um, then yeah, I, I see that as my, my role also. Thank you for that. Just like realness, giving us realness, um, because I feel like that was just such an honest and refreshing answer. Um, so thank you for that. I, it made me reflect a lot too. And I was thinking about a lot of my experiences and you're speaking about um, sometimes like instead of going through and like Xing people from the friends list being like, we can't have this, you know, actually sort of having compassion and sort of meeting those people. And that made me think a lot sort of about um, different experiences, a little bit different, but sort of as a gay man in particular, like when I see other gay men being problematic instead of being like, get out of my face, you know, I'm like, well, I feel like I'm kind of uniquely positioned to maybe say something since I'm a part of that same group. So being able to understand my role in combating sort of some of these issues. Yeah, totally. And, and um, probably like an important thing to also say is that like, I don't, I don't think that like, if y'all had someone posting really racist shit, like, like, I think you should do whatever you need to do to like, like stay safe. Like, I, I think it's so fair for someone who is hurt and is affected by those kinds of comments to, to do the friend purge. Cause that's a matter of wellness. That's safety. That's yeah. survival. And I hear that, but it's not like that for me. Like I can't any, anything that any like racist comment that someone makes on Instagram or on Facebook, like I can be outraged by it, but I also need to remember that that outrage is not 
doesn't even come close to the magnitude of actually being offended um, or actually actually being really hurt and traumatized mm-hmm. by that comment. And so, yeah, I see that as kind of a an allyship move. Darren, I'll let you ask the next question. Yeah, we're just going to keep it rolling. You know, we want to keep keep people listening on the edges of their seats. <laughs> um, so I guess the next question that we sort of had for you is, are you helping other white people become allies? I know you spoke on that a little bit, but sort of like, um, what's your approach or sort of like, how do you go about that if it is something you want to do? Yeah, I've. Um, this is also something I've really thought about. But I think about the ways that, so yeah, I always, I always come back to, if racism is baked into everything, every structure that I move through every day, then every, everything I move through every day, every time I move through those things, I have a chance to work against that structure. Mm. Um, and so I guess in sort of these normal, unintentional times, like reactive times, um, when I'm sort of going going about my life not intentionally, proactively doing anything um, that looks like engaging in those conversations and um, and giving up sort of my time and my energy that I might have been putting into something else to that white person and and um, really engage with them on on their beliefs and um, understanding their identity and their positionality and how they're showing up in in spaces. Um, and and engaging in that for myself as well, um, continuing to grow grow in that mission for myself. Um, and then in in my work, um, thinking about how to be anti-racist and in the questions I ask um, and how I ask them and and the sort of methods that I use to go about doing that. And I again, I'm sort of a, a novice in in that area. Um, but in, in who I cite and, and how I read articles and how I look at who's, who's writing articles about what. Um, did this article on this kind of identity group, like who wrote it, who asked these questions? And so those are sort of the, oh, and, and where um, recently I've, I've paid more, a lot more attention to where my money is going. Um, so those are kind of the ways that I do it just in, in my daily life. And then in sort of a more, active way I guess I I think a lot about how I use social media and I think right now I'm I'm really pulling balances or pulling feeling pulled um between posting and and amplifying voices um employing black voices and sharing information to those folks in my feed where I might be the only person who they're seeing who's who's posting this stuff and also not taking up real estate, not trying to center my voice or myself, um, making sure that I'm, I'm sort of taking up little space so that people have more cognitive space to pay attention to, to those black voices that are posting um, messages that, that really need to be heard now and, and have always to be heard. Social media, uh, teaching. Teaching has been a big one. Um, so I think... When, when you teach, you have, and I don't know what, how y'all approach this. Um, maybe I need to get some ideas from, from both of you. Um, but you're just like handed like a bunch of power <laughs> and you have all these students in your class. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's where I feel like it's really, or I, I spend a lot of energy thinking through 
um, how am I going to actively make this a safe space for for folks? And that means reading a lot of like decolonizing education um, work that that has been done um, and thinking through practices, um, I guess questions that I always ask myself. Um, I, I do my best to ask myself are who who has power, who's being privileged, and who's being oppressed by by any decision that that I make, um, or how I wield my power in in this class. Um, whose voices are am I amplifying? Whose voices am I quieting? And the decisions I make on on what gets shared, what happens, how do I handle um, if during a class discussion a white student makes a racist comment? Um, how do I handle that in a way that makes the black students and students of color or um, or any minority or oppressed group student feel safe and feel, um, feel like I am an ally um, or how I, I commit to them in that way. Yeah. So you said a lot of really great things I wanted to touch on. The first was when you talked about social media and how you may be the only person that people are in contact with or see on their feed that puts that sort of information out there. And that's something that I think people don't really actively think about is that your social media feed timeline is curated. You choose who you follow. Yeah. You choose what you see. You can block certain words from appearing altogether. So um, it's important that you're bringing that to people's attention because I think if you happen to have a very liberal feed, you might think that, oh, yeah, everyone's seeing this and we're this change is happening. But if you just venture just a little bit off to the right into some spaces, it might not be like that. Um, so it's good that you're bringing attention to that, especially for people who may be listening and they don't feel like they need to do anything or what they're doing isn't really working. So they should stop. They should think about the fact that there might be one or two people um, follow them that may only be receiving this information uh, through them. And then the second thing was about the power that comes with teaching and education. I TA'd for a class with 300 students this past semester about, and it was very interesting to see how, how highly regarded students hold you um, and the, how they hold on to every word and your answer is kind of like final. And it's just, I don't know, I, it wasn't that long ago that we were in that position where we were the students going to a TA right. or, you know, and I, when I gave one of the lectures, I remember the students just had all these questions. I was like, oh, wow, you're, you're really invested in what I have to say. So um, when you kind of sit in the fact that you really are an educator, you, you can put confidence behind what you're saying if you really believe in it and you have um, your research backing or experiential backing to go with it. So uh, being an educator in whatever shape, form, or fashion is a very, very meaningful and powerful position to be in. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I don't think I have too much to add, but I think something I extracted when you were speaking that I really liked, I don't want to mess it up, but I believe you said um, who has power, who is privileged and who's being oppressed. And I'm like, that's a perfect trifecta. So like, with, like, <laughs> so like if you're in a classroom asking yourself those questions and then how do we change the space? If you're out on the street asking yourself those questions, if you're at home asking yourself those questions. So I love that as sort of like a three-step tool. Maybe we'll make that into something, but <laughs> incite you, you know, to cite people. 
And oh, I just... no, well, you can't say, like, like I, this, as I was hearing now, it's a product of, like, so many people, like, shaping me into this, like, and most likely at their expense. Um, so, yeah, cite, cite all of them. Yeah, but love that takeaway. So just keep that in mind, folks listening. Who has power, who is privileged, and who's being oppressed? <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So I think we have a couple more questions. You kind of hit on some stuff while you were talking because you just, you got it together. You did. Um, (laughs) One of the questions we had was what was your response when you see white people bombarding black people, people of color with their questions, feelings, guilt about what's going on. And I guess maybe when you, I guess when you see performative activism, and I guess broadly, um, we see that in our personal lives, but then also we see that in academia, like in our departments, everyone is just like, Oof, we all want to fix it. We all want to make it better. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And they're usually going to the one or two, if there are any um, Black people in the right. department, um, just just laying it all on them. So I guess, what do you think of it? Um, Do you have any suggestions? Or maybe even what do you do when you see Black people being bombarded by people's feelings, guilt, and questions? I see my role as, I guess, kind of like a traffic director. Um, (laughs) And so I, I try to guide people into a, you need to separate your listening from your talking. Um, and again, this is a project of like many people inviting me into this work and holding me accountable and, and lovingly teaching me. Um, and so I can, I feel like I'm in a place and, and a role that I can effectively do is reach out to people, um, or sort of interject and say, there are mountains of, <laughs> of literature, re, like, like any kind seas of and mountains. that exists <laughs> out there. Yeah, seas and mountains um, for you to read and consume on any platform. Um, so why don't you listen to the things that are already available on whatever questions you already have. Listen, read. Um, you know, if you have questions for that person, read their work in, in your department. Like read go read their work, read blog posts they've written, read, listen to their podcasts, um, or Google the questions you have, um, and read some of the seminal work that is on there. Um, and just, and actively listen every time that person is talking to the department, actively listen every time that person tells you to do something or, or to listen. And then I also feel like, and I've, I've seen some, some literature and conversation around this, I feel like I can be a white person or that white person um, that helps someone talk through their their white guilt and what they are processing from all of that. Um, because obviously, if as soon as they do one Google, they will learn. I think hopefully pretty quickly that um, activism spaces and spaces that want to center and amplify Black voices or any any oppressed. Um, or marginalized voices, there is no place for your white guilt there. And and your everything that you've learned <laughs> from the world is going to tell you that you should you should cry and you should center your emotions. And that is simply the first wrong thing you could possibly do. Um, and so I feel like 
even if you learn to decenter those things, they still exist. Um, and getting through, getting through that weight guilt, getting through all of the ugliness that that's probably going to come up if you look hard enough at yourself in the mirror, if you peel you peel back sort of the layers of of your upbringing or your your social learning. Um, I, like it's, it's happened to me. It's ugly, and it can lead you to really really dark places. Um, and having someone, a white person, um, who has not been a victim or has not been traumatized by um, the effect of of you being that person in the world is probably a, a good person to process that stuff with um, and help you sort of make sense of it and, and own it and acknowledge it um, and work through it and give you the tools to cope. Um, and so I can be that person. There are groups for white people who want to be um, anti-oppressive or anti-racist or, or better allies or accomplices. Um, and so, yeah, finding those people, finding those groups. Um, if you don't feel like you have those people in your life, therapy is a great place to work through. If you have an anti-racist therapist, um, therapy is a great place to work through white guilt because there's no place for it. If you actually want to make the world a better, a better place, if you want to practice anti-racism, you have to do the unlearning that produces those emotions. And then you have to get those emotions out of the way because they are self, they're self-focused emotions yeah. and they, they must be harnessed and channeled into actual productive work. Um, so I, I'm like totally rambling, but. No, I just, um, I want to give you snaps like that. Yeah. The unlearning yeah. and like centering <laughs> and everything traditional, I guess, coping mechanisms in terms of guilt and shame and all of that do center you but if you are in a way the center like you are the source of the guilt and the shame because of your existence that's a lot (laughs) right so then you have to now move and shift from the traditional therapy of we're going to work through it it's about you it's going to be fine to okay well get over it because now you need to fix the problems that you have caused. So I, I like the fact that you yeah. address all of that in this like neat, I love this it. neat bundle. Yeah, and like <laughs> getting people to not like unload on to like their black friends who might not be willing. Some might have the space for that, but others might not. Yeah, you know, at least get yeah. me a meal first. No, I'm joking. No, <laughs> <laughs> we are not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you already so hit on. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you can no, finish your thought. You can finish your thought. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, no, I was just going to say that you already like mentioned counseling, but our final question is about our question. Our last question is about counseling. So, Darren, do you want to like do the honors of asking the last question? <laughs> yeah, I'm right now. So my last question was just what um, roles or role do you think counseling um, and therapy play and what's going on right now? For just everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, this this is a biggie. Um, So I guess, yeah, I first, I first want to acknowledge that um, there are a lot of really racist therapists out there. Um, And I guess, yeah, if this time is a call for, for everyone to, examine themselves and how they're showing up and providing healing services to other people. Um, If you're not actively doing the work, now's the time to start. If you are a therapist, 
getting getting into that um, because the there's something that we like throw around a lot, uh, the median number of, of therapy sessions that a client attends is one. Um, mm. It's the median because there's so, so, so many people that only show up to one session and for whatever reason never come back. Um, and, and that reason is, is different for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't come back because their white therapist um, didn't hear them or see them or me (laughs) right exactly it was like micro or macro aggressing them in therapy which is supposed to be like a healing space and it can totally lead to like re-traumatization um so big caveat before we get into all the like you know wonderful folks out there doing the work um yeah it therapy can be really great but it can also be really traumatizing if if you as a care provider have not done the work. I, if assuming you, you know, you find your therapist, there are also plenty of therapists out there who are, are competent at their job, um, but are not necessarily the right fit for you. Um, small tangent, I, I tell my clients, like, um, especially in sort of transitioning them out from after me, you don't have to like your dentist for your dentist to be really effective in, in like keeping your teeth healthy. Um, but therapy is not like that. <laughs> there is a the real relation, the real relationship with your therapist is real. Um, and so if you are not feeling heard or seen, um, and maybe sometimes it's a matter of building that rapport, um, and therapy can be weird and whatever, maybe it's worth going back. Um, and maybe that's not your therapist and, and it's important to think about sort of what you want out of therapy, what kind, what kind of things have worked before, um, questions that you want to ask them before you, you really commit and jump in things that are important to you. Um, yeah, that's, so I guess that's my, my little tangent on, on finding a therapist. Um, <laughs> in case anyone's curious, <laughs> about that. um, but the state of things, yeah. So I, I already said it, but I'll, I'll say it again. Therapy is the place for you to figure out your your white guilt and sort through it and and do a lot of that unlearning because that is the place where, where you are centered and you should do it. That's, that's the place for it. Um, if you, depending on your relationship with your therapist or where you are in the work, um, it's maybe not a bad thing to ask them actively to, to hold you accountable um, or to join in your anti-racist um, identity development um, if, if that's something you want to be intentional about in therapy. Um, and then for Black folks, depending on where you are, I obviously, I don't know everyone's experience. Um, I can only imagine this is this is adding on to um, lifelong trauma, um, especially black folks moving through primarily white spaces um, every day. There, there's probably a lot of trauma that, that really adds up um, and therapy can be really, um, really healing and finding an anti-racist therapist is, is really important in that. Um, and so I've, I've shared a resource. Um, there are a lot of Instagram therapy accounts that I think, and which I think is a great thing um, that that uh, mental health um, sort of basics or mental health accessibility is um, is increasing on that platform. 
I think that that rocks and people are feeling more like they can they get connected that way. So yeah, definitely finding an anti-racist therapist um, and going to therapy and yeah, that can, can be really, really healing. And also um, therapy may not be for everyone um, or not be for everyone right now. And there are a ton of other really important ways to heal. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of talk about collective healing right now um, and, and the importance of that. Um, so I know like the, there's a group of really, really cool folks in counseling site called um, Psychology of Radical Healing Collective. Mm -hmm. um, they've published some like site today articles about ways for uh, black and indigenous folks to seek out sort of non-therapy um, healing and connecting with with other folks that are going through what you're going through, um, engaging and reflecting and journaling and artistic expression in um, reading, consuming, identity affirming literature, exploring, um, like connecting with heritage. Therapy is can be a really great way to to engage in self-exploration and healing and tool development. Um, and there are also plenty of other ways to, to heal and to engage in, in your wellness practice. And the, the biggest thing I can say is that whatever works for you is, is what works for you. Um, your wellness is, is your own. And um, yeah, maybe a therapist or the internet or whoever, people, your people, um, can maybe help you help you figure out that practice or, or get it aligned. Yeah, uh, we kind of pigeonholed you by by saying just counseling and therapy yeah. because there are <laughs> we know there's so many other ways to heal and to work through things. But yeah. I guess we just wanted you to speak on that since you know it's the flavor you're bringing to the show today. Yeah, <laughs> no. Definitely agree with that. Thank you. And yeah, and I like how you sort of like broadened it and opened it up to say wellness practices as well. Um, like acknowledging there might be sort of like individually therapists that might be racist or maybe different cultural communities have different sort of historical or socio-historical ways of coping. I know like in the black community for many, it's been in like the church or through spiritual practice. So sort mm -hmm. of just like mm -hmm. push being like whatever works for you <laughs> like going for it. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Also, um, we still know that therapy is inaccessible for a lot of people uh, mm -hmm. financially. Yeah. Um, and again, culturally, too, if you're in a community where therapy is like frowned upon, then this this whole conversation is, is just, just, we're just talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just talking. <laughs> right. Exactly. And um, yeah. And I think in, especially in those spaces, if you can get on Instagram um, and get a hold of those accounts that post things like five tips for, um, for grounding, um, when you feel like, when you feel like you are having a panic attack or here's what panic attack feels like, here are, here are some ways to, um, to ground yourself or to sort of get calm. Here are mm -hmm. some ways to cope with um, you know, maladaptive thoughts that you're having. Um, this is what depression can look like. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, that's a, the inaccessibility of therapy is is stupid, um, <laughs> <laughs> quite frankly. And yeah, lots of other other paths to healing that I'm really grateful for. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, that that sounds like, you know, sounds like a wrap. Thank you. Thank you so much. There's so many like golden nuggets of like wisdom, so much knowledge, so much fire, you know, <laughs> to just drop oh. for us. So I just want to say- Darren, what's your final you. rating though? Before you My were- final rating? Well you know, seasoned. No, I'm joking. Well <laughs> no. seasoned. Well seasoned. <laughs> that is his highest honor. <laughs> it's my highest no. honor. My nod to you. <laughs> no, guy. <laughs> this is not. This is, no, no, no. no. Seriousness, this is about you. I know we're joking. We're joking. Honored. We're joking. <laughs> we just appreciate you taking appreciate the time you. to talk about this topic, um, yeah. especially since it's so difficult and personal. Yeah. Um, although we're talking about centering Black people in this moment, it's also important to talk about the fact that not only are you doing the work on your own, you're helping other people, and that's challenging. So we just want to recognize the fact that this is labor, um, and, and we you, appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're doing it in public, you know, which a lot of people, they, they hide in, they hide in, but you you like, you did it in public. So I think, like, people listening to this, I think it'll give them some 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 of the wherewithal, you know, to start yeah. or continue in their allyship journeys. <laughs> yeah, I, and I hope so. Yeah, and Sorry I think um, before we move on to the next segment, I definitely want to encourage people to send this to their white friends, family, coworkers, colleagues, all of that, because I know this is something that people have been seeking. And we talked about the ways in which they may be seeking it the wrong way. But I think sending this conversation around um, is a really good way to continue the conversation without, uh, you know, burdening people, um, having people learn halfway and then communicating things the wrong way. I think um, this episode is just a really good way to package something up that can be sent around to people as needed. Thanks. Yeah. So should we just, should we say one final thank you and then, you know, get into our word on the street, you know? Yes. One, one more thank you for Katie Ingram, our, our, our first guest on the yeah. show. Oh my God. <laughs> well, thank thanks you so much. All. This has been such you. an honor. Oh, I appreciate <laughs> you both. All right. I'll, I'll get off and let you, uh, let you move on with this thing. All right. I'll catch up with you later. Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So what this week's word on the street, we're going to talk about Starbucks. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> Starbucks and what they're doing. So I don't know if you want to start us out a little bit, Jasmine, by giving us some context. I could do it too. But. Yeah, so on let's let's like get the full history in here. Right. So on June first, um, Starbucks posted a message, a very simple message. They said we will confront racism to create a more inclusive and just world. Stand in solidarity with our black partners, customers, and communities. We will not be bystanders. Starbucks. They said, you know, they said we stand in solidarity. They said thoughts and prayers. We're sending you our thoughts and prayers. <laughs> without action they said thoughts and prayers <laughs> they said. yeah they said thoughts and prayers yeah um, so i mean yeah. let's 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 look at a, a better model i think everyone has, at this point has seen ben and jerry's statement um yeah. they really they went in they talked about the issues at the core of things the systemic problems we have and talked about um they actually named some of the people that have really sparked the movement, uh, the Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter movement in the past, I want to say five years. Um, and then more recently, um, 
the movement that's been happening now. So in terms of corporate messaging, very weak, um, not really sure what they're getting at. And it's just disappointing. Performative, performative, performative. <laughs> it's performative. It's performative. Let's call it what it is. Um, but then within the last few days, um, there was just some news circulating that Starbucks banned employees from wearing anything that supports the Black Lives Matter <laughs> movement. So I just want to know what, how you're standing by people, where the, the solidarity, quote unquote, unquote, right. unquote, is coming from. Um, and then again, Recently, after they they sent out more messaging, they're like, "Oh well, we have a company shirt coming out um, <laughs> that emphasizes our role and responsibility in not being bystanders." And it's like, this is not a bystander conversation. This is about taking accountability and taking action. I don't know what this bystander language, <laughs> all this is. I don't know if you want to speak a little bit more on Darren. I do. They want that coffee black, but that's it. So I mean, my. <laughs> My issue, I have an anecdote from this. So I remember a couple of years back, I was living in Philly and I remember I was hanging out in Rented House Square Park and I was just sort of like uh, chilling with people. We had like smoothies or something. So we were like drinking and we were just chilling and we had to go pee as humans have to. Um, and I had to decide whether or not to go and pee at the Starbucks that was around the corner or at the Barnes and Noble. Thank, the, thank God I chose the Barnes and Noble because guess what came out in the news, you know, the next day? that two black men in that Starbucks had been profiled and someone had called the police on them and they were escorted out for doing nothing but sitting there. And that was literally the same day. That was literally the same day I was in that park, you know, and it's not about me. It's about police brutality and like, you know, systemic oppression and all of that. But it just is very reminiscent of that. So I'm like, how are you going to have that history, you know, a couple years back and now, you know, you're still doing the same stuff. So I think it just speaks to the performativity that a lot of companies do. You know, they send the thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. (laughs) Thoughts and prayers. They don't actually do the work. So I think that's all I have to say on it. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't really want to speak too much on it because it's just, it's absurd. It's nonsense. And Mm -hmm. we know. Especially, I think a lot of companies want to lean into the fact that this is just new territory. They don't know what to do. Ben and Jerry's can tell you what to do. They, yeah. <laughs> they've literally written it out. Do you want to copy and paste? I, I think you can hit them up. You guys are friends. You're cool. Like, you can follow this example, this model of how to approach this moment, what steps to take, and how you can make the change that you supposedly want to see. I'm putting words in their mouth because they didn't even say all that. They yeah. just said that they're in solidarity. Right. It's but rap, their employees you know? can't support it's a wrap. Just spend that dollar wisely, folks. Spend that dollar wisely. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, with that, I guess that was an episode. What do you mm-hmm. think, Dan? I think it was. <laughs> All right, then. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Meals Unpublished. Tune in each week as we all figure out life together. Right. And please continue to rate, subscribe, write a review, and share the podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please shout us out on Instagram at Millennials Unpublished. Always, that's with two L's and two N's. And I'm at Darren27. And I'm at John T. Jazz. Thank you again for listening and tune in next week. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>